This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello, listeners. Welcome to Sailing the East podcast. I'm Bela Musitz. And I'm Mike Wasserman. This is our podcast about sailing the East Coast of the United States. In some episodes, we will focus on passages and destinations. In other episodes, we will talk about boats, equipment, and techniques. And when we come across an interesting person, we'll try to get them to be a guest on the show. Now, what makes this podcast a little bit unusual is that only one of us sails. And that would be me, Bela. I've been sailing for over 30 years, not across oceans, but on lakes and coastal cruising on the east coast of the United States. And I, Mike, know very, very little about sailing. And on today's episode, we're going to talk about the boat that I bought and why I bought a Hunter 45 Dexalon. And that happened last summer. I bought a bigger boat. And uh, if there's one thing, Mike, that gets sailors riled up, it's talking about what boat is best. It reminds me of the Apple versus Android debates. And, uh, you know, we all know how people get passionate about their Apple iPhone versus their Android phone. Well, the same thing happens with boats. Uh, it happens in cars, happens in all sorts of things that people buy. And uh, if you ever want to uh, get blasted in a forum, just talk about the boat you bought and everyone will come out and tell you why you bought the wrong boat. So I think it's sort of an interesting conversation, and I wanted to share with people sort of the thought process that went into that. Yeah, and, you know, ah, social media, right? Uh, the ups and downs of social media, and everybody has a megaphone. But um, don't worry, Bela, I got your back on this. And besides, if we all had similar opinions on everything, life would be incredibly boring. So, you know, I think like in politics and love and everything else, the key here is to listen very carefully and respectfully to those we disagree with and respect those differences of opinion. Don't you think? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, and I, I agree with you that variety is important. Otherwise, we would all still be driving black Model T Fords, right? <laughs> which which and, and variety and spice and, and changing things and having selection is one of the great things that I think that. Uh, we've been able to develop as a society over the years. We've given people more and more choice. Uh, so there's a couple of ways that I think about buying a boat. Uh, and, and uh, you know, being a professor, I put together sort of this framework uh, that might help listeners to sort of think about it. Uh, so first is every boat is a compromise. And uh, if you find the perfect boat... Uh, most likely you aren't looking at the boat hard enough because they all have compromises uh, that you have to sort of adapt yourself to. And the other part of, of this framework is that you have to understand the sailboat designer's intent. What was the intent when they designed this boat? Was it intended to sail across oceans? Was it a, 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 a designed to be sailing on a lake? Was it designed for racing? Was it designed for living aboard full time? Those are all things that a designer has to sort of think about. 
And when, and when you know, they think about this, they go, okay, how is it going to be used? Who is going to use it? And then in, in addition to that, they sort of need to think about the demographics of the market that they're trying to sell this to, right? They're in the business. So they're, they're designing a product, just like any product. They're designing a product and they need to figure out who's going to buy this. So is this product I'm designing in t- intended for people over 50 who are retired and they're going to live aboard it half the time of the year? Uh, or is it intended for people who are going to race and want to really drive the boat hard and a boat has to be able to go fast and perform? Or is it for people with families with three or four kids, right? You can imagine how that takes you to all these different places in sort of the design parameters that uh, you're, you're going to be um, designing around. And, and the last one is, what's the price point, right? Just like in cars, you can buy a car for under $20,000, but you can also buy a car for $120,000. They fundamentally do the same thing. There's a key, you turn it, or maybe there's a button you push, and it takes you from point A to point B. And sailboats are the same way. Uh, so there's, there's, you have to think about where am I going to put this product out in the marketplace, now, that's sort of a very business-like approach, being a business professor, a former business professor, uh, view of putting a framework around this. But that's sort of the, the, the big kind of thing, things that I think about. It's the intended price point, the, the demographic market, and sort of the intended use are the big three. Okay, great, Bill. I get it. So we have these three parts. We kind of explore these. What's next? So that's, we just explored sort of how the designer looks at it. So now you have to think about how you are going to use the boat. What's your intended use? And, you know, I watch YouTube videos and everyone's talking about sailing around the world and, you know, living on the boat full time. And for me, that's a pipe dream. That, that's not how I'm going to use the boat. Uh, I'm going to use the boat for two or three days at a time, coastal cruising, which means, you know, go out for two or three days, spend it on the boat. I'm either going to be doing that myself or I'll be doing it with maybe two other people um, or maybe four to six at the most, have the kids there and the grandkids. So I need to have the ability to handle, let's say, six people, you know, four adults and two kids. Um, So I think that's sort of number one. How am I going to use it? I'm not going to sail across oceans. I'm not going 200 miles offshore. I'm not taking 15-day continuous trips. So that's, that's sort of one thing you got to think about. And then I got to think about uh, what other things are important to me, sort of what features or characteristics of the boat that are, are really important to me. Um, so I made a list. I made a list of things I got to have based on how I'm going to use it and things that are nice to have. So on my list of I got to have it, is I have to have, this might sound trivial to you or a lot of people, but I have to have a master bed, uh, master bed that you can have access to the bed on both sides. Uh, And why you might ask, is that important? Well, we chartered a bunch of boats and on some boats, one side of the bed, or I should say three sides of the bed are against walls. So there's only one side of the bed where you have access to. Well, if you're on the inside and you need to get up in the middle of the night, then you're crawling over the top of someone else. So, you know, after chartering a boat like that once or twice, my wife and I, Elaine, looked at each other and said, this doesn't work. We need to have a, a bed 
where you have access, where we don't have to crawl over the top of each other uh, to get out of bed at night. Um, so that's number one. Since we like to have guests, it has to have a decent guest bed. Um, in the summertime, in the east, it can get hot and muggy and with no wind. And boy, I'll tell you, the inside of a boat can get really hot. So it's got to have air conditioning. Since we like to go out for a few days at a time, it's got to have a refrigerator and a freezer. Other, another thing on our, our list was a stand-up shower. We want it to be able to take a shower. Um, another thing is something called in-mast furling. So, you know, a boat has sails on it, typically has two sails. And the sail in the front, which is uh, called a jib, uh, for many years they have come where they roll up. Sort of think of a window shade. You can roll it up to put it away and you can unroll it to use it. And a much more recent development is you can do that with the main sail, where you can roll it up into the mast, just like a window shade, and you can unroll it. That makes sail handling very easy. Now, back to a designer point, right? They don't go real fast. So you'll never see a, a racing boat with that type of an assail, right? You'll only see that on sort of cruising boats. Um, we also wanted to have open access to the water. Now, most boats, the way you get off them and on them at the dock is you sort of have to crawl over the side. Well, I'm 67. That's not as easy as it used to be. So we wanted a boat where the stern, where if you back into your slip, there's you can walk from the stern right onto the dock. So that's called a sugar scoop on a boat. And you sort of have access where you don't have to sort of crawl up over the side of the boat to get down to the dock. Because that can be like three and a half feet. And, you know, when I was 25, I just jump off the boat. Well, I'm not doing that anymore. So it had to have easy access. And that's also important for us when you're at anchor and you want to get into the dinghy, right? The dinghy is sort of your, your car <laughs> where you get from the boat to land. It's a little rowboat. May sometimes has an outboard motor on it. Most of the times they're inflatable. And again, if I have to crawl over the side of the boat to get into the dinghy, um, I bet you that uh, at least 30% of the time, I'm going to be uh, dunked in the water and wet. But if you have this sugar scoop with an easy access from the cockpit to back to this little platform at the stern of the boat, in essence, you can have your dinghy right there. And it's an easy step from the boat into the dinghy. Uh, and I didn't want to get a really old boat. As you get into older boats, uh, sometimes they have some challenges. Sometimes they don't, but you have to be a little more careful. I wanted shallow draft. So I wanted a boat uh, that draws five feet, no more than five feet. Uh, and that's basically because it enables you to go into shallower bodies of water. Uh, if you want to go down the intercoastal waterway, which is basically a, a well-protected canal that runs from the bottom of the Chesapeake Bay all the way down to Florida, uh, you want to draw not, not much more than five feet of water. I also wanted to have a mast height of 65 feet or less. And this is also for getting under bridges along the intercoastal waterway. I also wanted a bow thruster. A bow thruster is basically a little motor with a propeller at the front of your boat. And you can control that motor so you can push the bow of the boat to the left or the right. Very helpful when you're docking the boat. And I wanted no teak decks. I didn't want to have teak to take care of. I wanted not to have to be varnishing. 
I wanted things, you know, as little wood as possible on the outside of a boat. Wood's very beautiful. It looks gorgeous on a boat, but man, it's a lot of upkeep. So those were the things that I, I had on my list. I said, I got to have these things. Then I had a short list of nice-to-haves. The nice-to-haves were, I'd actually like to have two showers and two heads. Um, that makes that sort of nice, particularly when you have guests. But it wasn't, again, it's a nice-to-have. And the other nice-to-have was a generator. A generator allows you to run air conditioning when you're at anchor. Because typically, the air conditioning on a boat, you only have when you're at the dock because you plug into electricity at the dock. Otherwise, everything on the boat runs on batteries. And typically, air conditioners don't run on batteries because it takes a lot of juice to run an air conditioner. But if you have a generator, you can turn the generator on, and then you can run your air conditioning if you're at anchor and it's really hot and muggy. So that was... That was sort of my list. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love it. So, you know, the first step, get an understanding of what the designer of the boat wanted, what the the uh, the intended use was, what the intended audience is, what the price point is. So you have a sense of what the boat can do. And now you've got your kind of must have, uh, want to have or nice to have list. So I can see where this is headed. What's next? So now I map these two things onto each other. Right. So I have my list and then I, I start searching. Um and in, in, in the place to search is, is like, there's sort of a monopoly here, but it's Yacht World uh, is sort of the big place that has where brokers list boats. Uh, think of Realtor.com for houses. And you can go there and you can put in all sorts of search parameters and you can look for boats that are on the market. There's also other boats, uh, other uh, places where you can buy boats like Boats.com, et cetera. But Yacht World is, is a great place to start. And then so I, what I started doing there was I started looking at boat listings and I started to, to look at brands and models that fit my specifications, that matched my list. And, and I made a list of them. Um, so I narrowed down, right? Because there's, there's you know, probably 50, 60, 70 different brands of boats, of sailboats, and, and many of the brands have multiple models. So I started narrowing it down. The other place I went to is many sailboat uh, brands have owners groups. So these are places where owners have gotten together and they share information. And many of them, you can peruse what they're saying. So it's a great way to sort of discover problems that a particular model or brand may have, some challenges. Uh, there's also Facebook groups. There's forums. Uh, you have to sort of ignore the naysayers, right? You, and all the people say, this is absolutely the way this, you have to do this. Uh, but you can read about the challenges and problems that people have had. And for example, there was a boat that I really liked. Uh, it turns out it has a, a problem with holding tanks leaking. Holding tank is the place where when you on a boat where you think of septic tank on a house. <laughs> well, holding tank is where, where the water goes. And all the other stuff when you flush the toilet. Well, you don't want that to leak, right? Because it leaks into your boat. Yep. So, uh, you know, so I, I, I learned through these forums that, hey, there's this particular model that has this problem. After 10 years, they're prone to leaking. And it's a and the way where they put the tank. Now, the problem, not that the tank leaks. You can imagine tanks made out of metal will, will corrode after a period of time. But the way the manufacturer placed that tank it was impossible to get out of the boat without cutting a big chunk of the boat apart. And it's like a $20,000 bill in sort of cutting the boat apart and then putting it all back together to replace a $1,000 tank. So 
I just took that one off the list because of that. And you'll learn other things that, you know, boat problems have. There's something called blistering uh, on, on the hull. There's uh, engine access. There's all these kind of things that you can learn. You don't learn from the listing. You don't learn from that from the yacht world, but you'll learn that from forums and user groups. So that was sort of a, a next big step, narrowing down a list. Cool. You can imagine what's next, Mike. Yeah, so now now you got to get some criteria and narrow the list down. Yeah, yeah. Now I narrowed it down to, you know, a, a probably a dozen or so brands and models that kind of fit my criteria, and then I like I went and walked the docks, and most most marinas are open. You can walk the docks, and I'll tell you, ninety percent of the people love showing off their boats. So if you smile and you're friendly. And you say, oh, I really love your boat. I'm thinking of maybe getting one. Most of the times, they'll invite you on the boat and they will take you through the whole boat. And they'll oftentimes share the great things about it. And if you listen, they'll often tell you the times the things that are a challenge with their boat. So that was another great thing to do. Um, Another thing that you should do is try to charter a similar boat. So we did that as well, right? This is how we eliminated the boats that didn't have um, a master a master bed where you have access from at least two sides um, so try to charter a similar boat uh, and and I think those are sort of a couple of things that you can do I love it because you know it's like free advice right from people who who knows better than the people who are living with these boats so I think it's great to actually go and and, and ask and if people are busy and they they don't have time for you they'll let you know and at least my experience also is the the passenger and somebody who doesn't know a lot about sailing that it's a it's a friendly group typically and most people are absolutely willing to talk and ask questions and um and and share with you that valuable information and I think that's uh that's a good thing. So yeah, you combine that. So some different perspectives because right. If you talk to five or six boat owners, right. That's a five or six different boats. If you just charter one boat, right. Okay. That's one data point. Right. And then if you can talk to five or six other people, now you have seven data points, right. Which starts to give you a better picture firsthand uh, about whether it's the right fit for, for you. Yep. So this makes sense. So, all right. So you narrowed your search down. What did you wind up looking at um, before you kind of in the run up to buying your boat? Yeah, so here's here's sort of the list of of boats that were on our on our interested uh, uh, to look at. Was it Hunter uh, is the manufacturer? Uh, they make a 44 and a 45 uh, Dexalons, and they make a 45 center cockpit. So there was three Hunter models we were interested in. Wait, can what's the what's the Dexalon versus the center ah, cockpit? Okay, good question. So the cockpit on most boats is in the rear one-third of the boat. Mm-hmm. A center cockpit takes the cockpit, which is where the steering wheel is, where you're going to sit when you're out sailing, and moves it forward. So it's more, it's not in the center of the boat, but it's probably, uh, you know, there's there's probably uh, 20 or 30% of the boat still behind you. So it moves it up uh, uh, maybe uh, a fifth of the way or sixth of, uh, a seventh, uh, fourth of the way forward so it's closer the advantages to that is you're sitting up higher it, it tends to be more well protected if you're out in heavy seas uh, the disadvantages are the cockpit tends to be smaller uh, and and again you have to crawl over things when when you're getting on and off the boat because it's it's sort of uh 
you know, in the in sort of the middle of the boat. Another advantage to it is, is the master suite is usually in the rear of the boat on these center cockpits. And because you're not underneath the cockpit, you have a really good full size height in the in the master bedroom. Right. So, again, it's a compromise. Right. You're you're moving things around uh, that you got to fit into this 40 or 45 foot length. There's only so many places you can put them. So a center cockpit is is just as it sounds. A deck salon basically means that um, there's more light and visibility when you're down inside the boat than typically. They raise the floor a little bit. They make the coach roof a little higher, and they put more windows around it. So you don't feel like uh, you're in a submarine. Some boats... They're pretty dark inside. They use dark wood and they have small portholes and stuff. So it's pretty dark. So this was sort of a designer's way of sort of trying to lighten up the inside of the boat and sort of give you more natural light and the ability to sort of, when you're down below, to look out nice size windows and see what's going on around you. So that's what a deck salon means. Cool. Okay, keep going. Thanks. Yeah. So Hunter Hunter was one manufacturer. They made a couple. Genot is another manufacturer, and they made a 41, a 42, a 43, and a 45. Uh, Beneteau made uh, also a bunch of boats in sort of that 40 to 45-foot length, as does Catalina, Island Packet, and Bavaria. So those were the manufacturers that sort of fit within the parameter spec that I had, I had set up. And I looked at all these boats. I either physically looked at them at a dock or with a broker, or we chartered one, or a very similar. You know, the, the difference between uh, a, the Hunter 44 and the 45 is pretty negligible. They're almost identical down below. Um, so we sort, of, we sort of looked at all those boats, and uh, that was sort of the next step we took, yeah. Cool. So you narrowed down your, your choices. You, you kind of ticked the boxes. What did you conclude? Yeah, so after we looked at all these boats, we really uh, eliminated a bunch of them uh, because, you know, there was things in the layout. It's like looking at a house, Mike. You know, mm-hmm. after when you buy your first house, you don't oftentimes realize, you know, that the if the kitchen's laid out this way, it doesn't work for you. Or if the, uh, the, the living room and dining room combination is laid out a certain way, it does or does not work for you. The same thing is on a boat, right? You're living on it. So the way things are laid out is important. And we'd go look at these boats and we'd say, hmm, we really don't like the way that that galley is laid out. We really don't like the way the dining table is set up. Uh, So we eliminated a bunch of them and we ended up predominantly focusing on on the Hunter uh, 45 deck salon and the Catalina 455. Those those were two boats that. We really, really liked. We liked their layout. We liked their size. We liked their accommodations. Uh, and then it was, it sort of came down to price. The 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 Catalina being a newer boat, a, a newer model, um, was priced uh, almost forty uh, percent more uh, than the Hunters we looked at, and so that sort of drove that decision. We didn't want to spend that much money, and so we ended up concluding that. You know, we wanted the Hunter 45 was the model for us. And, and then we were pretty focused. And then you can get on Yacht World. You can get on these online uh, places and you can figure out all the Hunter 45s that are for sale. <laughs> and, you know, you can read the listings and 
some of them were, you know, in other parts of the world. So then you say, oh, if I buy that, how am I going to get it back here? It, it may be priced $5,000 cheaper, but it's going to cost me 10,000 bucks to get it here. So that doesn't work. And we ended up buying uh, one. We looked at, I think we went and looked at uh, four or five Hunter 45s. Physically went and looked at them. Uh, there was one, there was two of them we really liked. Uh, they actually were both really close. One was in Rhode Island. One was in Connecticut. And uh, one of them had some, one of them was really loaded with like every option that you could buy. And very, very few of those options were important to us. So it was priced much higher than the one we ended up with. Right. So they were not high value options for us. And uh, as a result of that, uh, we, we did put a bid in on that one uh, at a price point that would have worked for us. The seller wasn't willing to do that, which is fine. And then we ended up uh, buying the other one and uh, we bought that last summer. So uh, I think we closed on it in August of 2020. Was there a lot of negotiations or was it pretty quick to close the deal? At the end. Yeah, so we'll, we, we'll do a whole episode about the actual buying process because it's, it's as complicated as buying a house. And uh-huh. uh, so, uh, you know, it, it's a big investment and, and there's, you know, like when you buy a house, there's a home inspection. Well, there's a, it's called a survey on a boat, but <laughs> there's a business of people coming out and looking at these boats and tapping on them and poking at them and giving you their expert opinion. Um, so... Uh, you know, it, we'll do a whole episode on that. But it's uh, the negotiations, uh, and, and there's a broker involved. You you typically work mm-hmm. with a broker, and then the seller has a broker. So in many ways, it parallels buying a house uh, in many, many ways. And, uh, you know, so we ended up buying this 2009 Hunter 45 Dexalon. And uh, we've really liked it a lot so far, and uh, hopefully looking forward to uh, – uh, getting it launched uh, when the weather warms up and uh, using it uh, this, uh, this summer. Great, Bella. Cool. So that was a great walkthrough of the process, and it really helps break things down into kind of manageable chunks for me. So just to review for the listeners, one is you need to understand the intentions that the boat designers really were aiming for in order to get a feel for what you can look at. Uh, second, you firm up your list of needs and wants, and you have a, take a very clear-eyed look at the trade-offs involved in choosing boats to fit your needs. Again, not looking for the perfect boat, looking for a good set of trade-offs. And then third, a broad set uh, search to narrow down your top choices. And then finally, a look at the specific boats. And I love this idea of kind of walking around at marinas and talking to boat owners and seeing what they like and don't like about the boats. Um, and really keeping your eyes open, understanding the market so that you know when you make an offer and you go through this process of buying, for many people, the second most right expensive investment that they'll make after their, their house, um, that they've done, they, they've done their homework and they can purchase with some confidence that they went through a process that led them to, um, to the right deal for them and the right boat for them so that they can be happy with their purchase and sleep well at night. So that's what I took away. Did, did I miss anything from, from this? No, it's a great summary, Mike. I, I just want to emphasize another thing, and, and that is this notion of be honest with yourself of how you're going to actually use the boat uh, because that's, again, how you use it and map that onto the intended uh, use of the particular boat you're going to buy. So a real good friend of mine uh, and his son uh, bought a passport 40 which is a, a, a an ocean going boat 
made for crossing oceans. They have the intention of sailing across the Atlantic. That's sort of their dream. And, and they're well on the path to doing that. And I helped, it's a very great boat. I helped them bring that boat up from Florida up to Newport, Rhode Island. And I'll tell you that being on that boat was great because it, again, it, it helped me narrow down my focus. I spent, I spent two weeks on that boat. And this notion of understanding how that boat, again, its intended use was sailing offshore in oceans, going long distances, and the accommodations are set up for that. Uh, you know, the bunks are narrow, which is actually good when you're out in the ocean because you can't roll around too much, right? You, you want to have walls on a bunch of sides of you when, when you're sleeping out in the ocean, whereas our boat has this big queen-size bed. Well, I'd, I'd be rolling all over the place in that thing, right? So here again, you got to think about how you're going to use it. I'd, I'd sail across the ocean in their boat, but I would not want to sail across the ocean in our boat. And at the same time, I, I wouldn't want to spend a week bopping up and down the East Coast of the United States in their boat, getting on and off the boat all the time, but I'm happy to do that on my boat. So it's sort of the intended use and stuff is really important. So I really want to emphasize that point. Cool. Well, I'm sure that these topics will come up again. Like you said, we'll do a whole nother episode on the actual sealing the deal and making the purchase and what that involves. And I'm sure we'll kind of talk through a lot of these different issues and these trade-offs again uh, in the coming weeks and months, because it's a big part of boat ownership, right? This choice is important. Uh, so that's great. So thanks for putting this together. And listeners, thanks for joining us. We hope you found this episode interesting and thought-provoking. Uh, whether you're thinking about buying a boat or you're working on buying a boat or even when you've bought a boat and reflecting back, if you have some questions about what we discussed or you want to share some things that you think uh, should be added to our kind of approach to this, please feel free to get in touch with us. Our email is sailingtheeast, that's all one word, at gmail.com. And hey, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast already, please do. And if you also have someone that you think would be a good guest for the podcast, uh, send us an email and give us their name, and I'll reach out to them and see if uh, we can get them on the show. So until next time, signing off from upstate New York. See you soon, Mike. Sounds great, Bela, from over here in Münster, Germany. See you next time.